You're listening to Rosie on the House. Good morning, Arizona homeowners. Come on around back here. It's 8 o'clock, our outdoor living hour, second Saturday of the month, so we are talking trees. ISA certified arborist, Mr. John Eisenhower of Integrity Tree Service, who has just for the first time in his adult life experienced the power of boudin. <laughs> that is the first time. That is really good stuff. Yeah, that we... is really good stuff. <clears throat> I had my little fruit smoothie on the way over here, and that was, <laughs> and that that um, uh, was something that could really stick to my ribs. Oh, that yeah. was so good. You, you, you know, there's it's hard to find something that's easy to <clears throat> eat uh, when you get up at four o'clock on Saturday mornings. The program starts at seven, and uh, after I've five years of cold bagels, I'm like, this is enough. We have got to get on CajunGrocer.com and load up the freezer with some boudin. <laughs> Man, it is so good. That's really a, just, you need a good, you know, they say a good protein breakfast is pretty important. And I've been looking for good ways to try to get that protein because if you eat something sweet in the morning, you have these little sugar highs and lows and then a drop off around 9 or 10 o'clock. So you see, if you eat a good protein breakfast, it kind of keeps those uh, that glucose level uh, a lot more even through the morning. You won't have those cravings for extra food. And anyway, that would be a great source of protein for a, uh, a morning uh, breakfast. Well, and the great thing about boudin is it comes in links. So you just take a bite here and you take a bite there. there you you go. just graze all morning long. It, oh, it, man. It's good warm. It's good at the temperature of the room. Uh, it it, it, it's a universal fruit, my favorite. But yeah. we're here to talk trees, <laughs> believe it or not. And the tree of the month, we're starting this. I don't even try and pronounce the scientific Greek names. It's a Texas well, mountain laurel. It's, a, it's, I'll let really, you do the it's, it's really a sign of words. sophistication and uh, an absolute arrogance among our agricultural friends <laughs> to be able to pronounce and all these botanical <laughs> names. Yeah, you got to pull off these, you know, uh, Pithecolobium flexicali. You know, these are. Uh, no, this is a funny. I love this name of this one. Actually, it's beautiful. Sephora secundiflora. Sephora secundiflora. It's the Texas mountain laurel. And once again, we have one another Texas tree that does really well here. A lot of these, uh, um, like the Texas live oak. We have the Texas ebony, and this Texas mountain laurel is a really nice tree. It's a beautiful small tree. If you have one of those spots where you want something a little bit larger than a shrub, these grow to about eight feet maximum height, uh, and they're slow growing, but it's a beautiful evergreen tree. It has an awesome uh, large purple bloom, and it's called, you know, uh, it's kind of gotten a nickname as the grape soda bush because the blooms smell like grape soda. Remember having those grape sodas when you were a kid? They're just really... It has that distinct grape soda um, fragrance, which is really cool for kids, you know. Um, but it's it's a beautiful um, uh, plant and uh, a little a kind of a thick, dense, dark, waxy green leaf. And as I said, evergreen holds its leaves all year long. It, evergreen, but it has a nice bloom. Yeah. And, and it's, it's considered a purple bloom that they call the grape soda tree. Bush. Yeah, <laughs> bush. and it's, it is kind of a, a large shrub or a small tree. It can be trained up to become a, a tree. It's rather slow growing, so don't be a, thinking it's going to achieve its landscape purpose in a year or two. It might be more like five or six or seven before it gets up to that nice height that you want where you can start to train it up to be be like a tree. But if you want a, a, a large shrub that will give you some privacy screen, it's, it's a nice dense foliage. 
I love trees like this. It may not be a perfect native of Arizona, but it's still a really well adapted, a drought tolerant. Yeah, full low sunlight, water use, full sunlight, low litter, great, and has great color. around. Yeah, and it has color, and it's good around pools too because it's considered a low, a low litter plant. So uh, great for a, um, a shrub or a large or a small tree or, or a large shrub. The Texas mountain laurel, very good. Well, I that's one I don't have, but I'm. I'm pick, I've got a little area in the back corner of the property that I want to eventually slowly transition into a, a kind of a little southwest, just strictly drought-tolerant native trees with colors and blooms and kind of like a little, uh, my own sure. little botanical garden back here go. on the yeah, back quarter be, or yeah. acre. And the, that'd I'm, be a good this addition. This getting added to be the list. Good addition, <laughs> yep. Nice little flowering tree. They bloom, uh, you know, usually April or so. But, uh, yeah, there'll be a... Um, a good one to add to your yard if you've got that little that small spot you're looking for something that you don't want to outgrow it and um, by the way there's on our website we've got a an info sheet that has a tree list and if you're looking for trees in a certain kind of height range I've organized the kind of my favorite list in terms of their height uh, there's other characteristics you could you could judge them by but I I'm just trying to find replacement trees for customers of ours who've had to take a tree out for various reasons but they're trying to replace it with a, a tree of a certain size and I've, I've sort of have a, a list a listing of plants a few in the 10 to 12 foot range uh, I mean below below 10 foot and then a few few and going up about every five feet in height up to about 35 feet so uh, check out our website itreeservice.com and go to the um, the uh, the articles the fact sheets page and you'll find that list of medium-sized shade trees if you'd like to talk trees, you can call in at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. You can text questions to 411-923, or you can send a picture if you've got a tree that you would like help identifying what it is, or maybe you've got some insects crawling around you need to know what, what you're battling. Snap a picture and email it to info at rosieonthehouse.com as we dive into our February to-dos and our talking trees we're starting with the uh, trimming little, little time to time to get the pruners out yeah this is a time of year we were telling you to kind of be careful in january because of the the, the risk of frost but as we turn the corner into february uh, we you can start doing a little bit more aggressive pruning almost all trees can be pruned this time of year we like to target february 15th to about april 15th as our target time to do heavier pruning on any of your your trees and shrubs if you've got some of those shrubs that are have kind of gotten overgrown you might want to do a little more radical uh, cut back on those this is your prime time to do that um, it looks like the forecast is is good going forward in the next 10 days it doesn't look like we have any frost in the forecast so time to get out your pruners and do some of that heavier pruning if it's needed um, uh, also the uh, um, time to uh to target your citrus pruning especially because those uh, uh and other frost sensitive trees that don't require a lot of pruning and ones you don't want to risk hurting because of the risk of sun damage in this in the in the summer and of course uh, uh risk of frost damage in the winter this is your prime time for pruning citrus so uh if you if uh if you need a little bit of grooming, I like to talk about it in terms of grooming and sort of just gently containing the size of our citrus trees. This is a time to do that. Citrus don't like to be opened up. You know, leave the interior foliage as much as you can. You can take out dead wood, but leave the interior foliage because it really does protect the interior from too much sun. 
But then if you have that interior foliage inside your, your shrubs, in, including your, your small trees like citrus, you can do a little bit more aggressive pruning on the outside of the canopy to con- con- control the size without there being a risk of, in, of, of sunburn because that interior foliage is still shading those branches. So keep that interior foliage uh, on all of your trees and shrubs, and it gives you a lot more options for doing reduction pruning on the outside. The, the, we hate to see it with that lion-tailed pruning with, where people strip out the insides of their, their trees for various reasons. And then, and then when they want to do any kind of containment pruning from the outside, there's no secondary growth on the inside to kind of protect the interior. So you've, you, you, you're kind of stuck with your tree getting larger and larger. The inside is completely opened up, um, and all you have is the lion tails of heavy foliage on the outside, and you can't very well take that back because you've got nothing left, uh, uh, no, no foliage left on the inside. And on citrus, your most productive branches are your older ones so you want to be careful you're not cutting out a lot of those interiors our lemon trees right now majority of our lemons were there i think the trees are five or six years old now but because the older wood was towards the center all of our lemons you had to dive into as the tree grows and mature it'll come out but it was all right there at the base sure and and different trees and different species have different pruning requirements and you'll need to kind of do a little bit of research to know but there are certain trees we definitely want to leave a lot more interior foliage on, and citrus is one of those. They have a very thin bark, about a sixteenth of an inch thick, really easily sunburned. Uh, they say that if, if citrus bark is exposed to sunlight for more than two hours of continuous sunlight, it will burn, regardless of whether you put tree paint on it. So keep that filtered uh, sunlight with those uh, that nice shading of the exterior branches and your lower branches. Don't raise your citrus up really high. Um, you know, and, and, and allow the sun to hit the bottom of the trunks. That's really a shame because uh, once that trunk is damaged, uh, it, it you know, re- restricts the ability of the tree to conduct water and nutrients up from the roots, and uh, you'll start to get dieback and uh, a, um, some serious damage to the health of the tree. Now, because we're close to one of those magic fertilizing dates, if we're out there trimming at the same time, there's no reason we can't spread a little citrus uh, food granular down underneath the base of the tree? Yeah, February is, is one of the four uh, quarterly uh, months for application of, of citrus fertili- fertilizer. So, yeah, great time to get your fertilizer into the ground. You know, we recommend, too, if you're uh, uh, wondering if you have any micronutrient deficiencies uh, in any of your trees or shrubs, they might be showing some signs of some yellowing, some chlorosis. You want to be sure that you... Uh, um, you do a, a soil analysis. We don't recommend just throwing a fertilizer at, at, at symptoms. Uh, it be, might be a good idea to uh, have a soil analysis where we come out and take a soil sample, submit it to a local laboratory, uh, let them send it back with your, um, your uh, calcium-magnesium ratio, your, P, your, your, your pH levels, and, of course, your macro and micronutrient deficiencies, if there be any. It will give us all those levels. That way we can prescribe a, a fertilizer treatment that will be targeted toward your uh, the, the available nutrients in your soil. And we can do some things to even possibly buffer the pH a little bit to help you uh, have better nutrient uptake. Uh, but we're, it takes a little bit longer, you know, a week or two to get the, the, the lab analysis back. But we can certainly move forward um, with confidence that we're, we're putting down fertilizer uh, 
um, uh, accurately and, and for a specific reason. You might want, it, I was just going to say you might want to take a, a soil sample in your front and backyard or certain areas of your yard so you can, because um, in a constru- typical construction site, there might be different types of soils and, and different nutrient levels in different parts of the yard. Some grow nuts, some grow leaves. Either way you look at it, we're talking trees with John Eisenhower on Rosie on the House. And Ed's on the line at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-4348. Rosie, for you, speaking of growing, he's moving and wants to know about uh, starting a few trees for the new place. Good morning, Ed. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Okay, I am moving up to high country, Heber Overgard, and I'm currently attempting to start some Colorado blue spruce from seed and bare root. And right now I've done everything I can for what I've read on starting the seed, you know, with the wet paper towel and leave it sit and let it root or put it in a sandy mulch and try and water. And so far, nothing. And on the bare root, I've planted them in a sandy type mulch. I'm keeping them moist and I'm experiencing needle drop. So what am I doing wrong? And uh, cause I'd like to get some trees up on the property where it was touched by fire years ago, it's kind of looking naked, mm-hmm. and I'd like some trees up there to look at. No, I appreciate those concerns. There's a lot of folks who share your 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 uh, your uh, sorrow about a lot of the fires that have ravaged some of that area up in that um, in that part of the state. Um, you know, I would suggest that you you know instead of planting from seed or bare root that you might want to consider trying to get a little bit larger plant that has a little more of a, a better head start. Regarding that elevation level, I'm not really that, because I'm a low desert uh, arborist, I may not have the expertise that you, you would need to kind of dial that in with what you're doing wrong with it, those, uh, those starts you're trying to make. You might want to consult the, the, uh, um, the extension office in your area for um, one of their publications it could help you, or maybe some, you can get advice on one of their hotlines. Also, the local nurseries in your area would probably be able to give you some advice. And I don't know about Heber, but not far over into Sholo, there's Christopher's Garden Center mm-hmm. for everything high mountain in that White Mountain area from sure. from Heber over to you know, Alpine. We send everyone to Christopher's. They well, I know after the Rodeo Chetiskai fire, we distributed a lot of trees in the in the. Uh, Pine Top Lakeside area, um, up in Sholo, and we and throughout that area, I'm pretty sure we were we were installing uh, one to five gallon um, smaller trees so that they, at least they they were rooted out, and you know it's it's hard enough for them to get established in some of those rocky soils, so you know starting from uh, a a, uh, a bare root seedling or to a, or even trying to grow from seed. Uh, gosh, that's a little bit out of my area of expertise, and, and it would seem to be, be a, a pretty tough um, tough job to do. Well, I, I would start with Christopher's, and there's nothing wrong with with starting with a little cheating. <laughs> it's not cheating to get us started. There's a reason people make a living at starting them from seed and grafting them sure. is because it is. Sure, and I, you know all the ones we, we had a, a pretty high mortality rate, even when we were planting from the one and five gallons after the Rodeo Chetiskai fire that— so, yeah, you've got a, a, a tall order to try to re- reforest some of those areas that have been burned out. So, 
Good luck, Ed, and congratulations on the Heber home. That's a beautiful area. Let's bring Emilio into the conversation and see how we can help uh, Emilio in Tucson. Welcome to the broadcast. Yes, thank you. Hey, listen, I've got uh, a citrus tree that's uh, blooming real, right, real. I mean, like crazy. And uh, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, it was like that, and I fertilized it, and all the blooms fell off. So, it, it, am I? I know I'm supposed to, you know, fertilize next week, but it's I guess uh, what 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 I do, fertilize or no fertilize. Well, you know, during the bloom cycle, those those flowers are are pretty sensitive to different changes in their environment. A lot of additional water, wind events, other things can disrupt that bloom cycle. I would probably wait until the fruit has set. If you're in the middle of a bloom, that's a pretty early bloom for citrus right now. So, I would say just um, let them uh, let let it complete the bloom. The, each of those um, those flowers will set a small fruit, and when it gets to be about BB size, you'd be good to go ahead and apply your fertilizer at that time. Uh, generally, of a, a, a February fertilization in the low desert is a, a month ahead of our bloom, so it's a great time to be putting your fertilizer down if your citrus are not blooming now. But if you are in the middle of a bloom, you might consider just being careful not to uh, um, fertilize at this time, or even. Uh, uh, be doing some watering. We've had some people who've done some irrigation right when the the, the trees are, are in bloom and they've aborted the blossoms and had a, had a, had a, it's affected the the fruit crop. So yeah, just kind of be careful during that that you know few weeks when they're in in bloom. Just let them do their thing and just just water as you normally would. Uh, but maybe the fertilization would be better to wait if that's uh, if it if you had some problems last year. Um, by the way, this we had some. Some issues with citrus. We've had quite a few people who've had very, very uh, lean harvests this year, and our, our our citrus orchard included. We had s- several trees that just hardly put on any fruit, and I'm I'm wondering if it was due to that really intense hot summer we had in June. You know, a lot of the fruit may have, have aborted during that time, but uh, this was a rough year for citrus. We've had quite a few calls coming in, people wondering why their harvest has been so thin. And fertilizers is one of those things when in doubt under apply you, know, you don't want to over apply because that can cause all those same effects it's better to add less and exactly maybe increase your frequency of, of it a little bit more but don't ever over fertilize exactly we'll be back with more john eisenhower of integrity tree service talking trees at one 767 if you'd like to join the conversation we do have a uh, picture sent in we're going to need a little help with some tree species identification and you can also text to 411-923 trees can't speak but john eisenhower speaks their language talking trees with rosie on the house pick up a couple stitches two of those other points we got a good line of calls emails questions for our our certified arborist john eisenhower but before we get there, let's talk through a couple more of these bullet points on our February talking tree to-dos here. Well, with reference to the uh, the frost danger, I just wanted to uh, let everyone know that there's a link uh, connected to, uh, it's on our website, the tree calendar, uh, that tells you when the average last day of frost is in your specific area. You might want to just mark it on your calendar, but you can get to it um, on our tree calendar at itreeservice.com. 
and go to the, the February tree calendar, and it, there's a link there that we, and it will bring you to a website, um, the U of A Extension website, and it will tell you your specific part of town. Because that, that last average last day of frost varies all the way from February, I think, about 6th, all the way to almost the end of March. So depending on what part of town you're in, that that uh, is a bit of a sliding scale. We always talk about February 15th as the average last day of frost. But if your area is especially cold, you want to be careful that you're not uh, starting your pruning too early when there could be a risk of, of a later frost. So uh, go to that website. Be sure you know if, you're, if your la- average last day of frost is March 23rd, you want to kind of target that for you the time to get out your pruners and start doing that heavier pruning of your trees and shrubs. Also, uh, we, we talked about um, there's a, a link to on, on the tree calendar for uh, some of those shrubs that you want to cut back a little more heavily this time of year. And you're not sure, hey, can I cut that one all the way back to the ground? Should I leave that one a little bit taller because it can't uh, handle that radical pruning? There's a, another article on our website called Salvaging Sheared Shrubs. And it tells you how much pruning you can do on your specific shrubs. You can just look up the shrub you have in your yard, and it will give you some recommendations for that spring uh, pruning. Because there are some shrubs like your fairy dusters, your your bird of paradise, your oleanders, your lantana, uh, that can just be cut literally to the ground if they get frost damaged. Uh, Other ones you have to be a little little more careful. Uh, your sage, your leucophilamen, uh, your cassias even, you don't want to cut those back all the way to the ground. They may not survive that kind of heavy radical pruning. But this uh, article will kind of give you some guidance. Again, it's on um, on our website, itreeservice.com, and look up the, the, tree, the February tree calendar, and you'll see the link there to that article. Well, do you want to go through a few points, or you want to take a call? Where, I can, well, you want to take a call you? if one's hanging there. That'd be great. Well, Bob's been hanging on for a while. He wants to talk about his mulberry tree in Tucson. Welcome to the program, sir. Hey, good morning. Um, I'm wondering if I should trim my mulberry tree. It's about 20 feet tall now, and it's got pretty thin branches. They're probably, they're all probably, the top ones are about 9 sixteenths, but the big branches are about, some are two, some are three inches across. And, and the crotch of this mulberry tree is only about three feet off the ground. Mm-hmm. Someday it'll make a good treehouse for my grandson. It could do that and one day. <laughs> that's one of the lowest one of the lowest crotches I've seen in a mulberry tree. But I get really good fruit on it in the springtime. But should I trim this tree? You know, it's like a uh, a uh, a growing teenager right now. That size tree is going to be a bit rangy and wild, and it's going to be putting on a lot of vegetative growth. Yeah, you can cut it back. Uh, just be sure that you're um, making good crown reduction pruning cuts because they can be, like I said, be a little bit rangy. Those top branches will grow long and and thin and and wispy. You can kind of be pulling those back in just to to make the tree a more uniform size. Um, and at this stage of its growth, you know you can do that pretty uh, uh, pretty aggressively if you're trying to um, just contain some of that size. Uh, but yeah, make sure you're making good pruning cuts. Get advice from a local certified arborist if you need some help on where to make those pruning cuts. And uh, speaking of which, there are some pruning classes coming up in the Phoenix area. I'm teaching a couple classes at the Desert Botanical Garden, one on uh, Sunday, April 8th, and one on Saturday, May 12th. Uh, you can get on the Desert Botanical Garden website and look those classes up if you want to come and find out how to prune your trees and shrubs. Those will be a couple of classes coming up in the next couple of months. 
uh, the website there is dbg.org, and that'll get you onto their website. Look up their classes. You had started going into olive spraying. Yeah, we've got olives. If you still have olives that need spraying uh, to produce, to prevent the fruiting, uh, there's still time to get on our calendar for that. Uh, be sure to call as soon as possible because we've already begun our spraying, and there's kind of a window of opportunity to uh, uh, to, to spray those. Um, so you know, get a, get on the phone and get that get in our um, in our rotation so you, we can be sure to include you in the next couple of weeks. You had get sent a bulletin out from your plant health care department on ficus trees and the white flies uh, last week. I got it here. Yeah, due to our mild winter weather, a lot of insects have overwintered and they uh, are causing a, 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 some problems in our landscapes. You might have noticed uh, some uh, some clouds of uh, little white insects that are flying around some of your plants. If you have some of those, they're likely white flies. White flies can infest uh, various um, plants across the valley, including some agricultural crops. But in our uh, residential neighborhoods and, and businesses, they uh, particularly f- um, uh, target uh, our ficus trees, including our fig vines. So be sure that if you've got some ficus trees, you might want to think about looking, watching them. You can just go up to one of the branches on the, on the tree and shake it. And if you've got white flies in your ficus trees, they'll, they'll be flying as soon as you shake those branches. You'll be able to see them. Uh, there's also some preventive uh, measures you can take to spray them to, to, as a, uh, rather than waiting for an infestation. Uh, it might, not, it's a, might be a good um, idea to consider having them sprayed annually. Um, it's a, a pretty simple process and kind of keeps those ficus trees looking good. Sometimes by the time we, uh, we have customers calling us, uh, their ficus trees have already defoliated or be, um, started to discolor. They're getting a lot of leaf drop. And sometimes it, we're chasing uh, that issue. Sometimes it's good to get out in front of it with a uh, proactive uh, treatment. Now, we had an email come in earlier from a gentleman that wanted a little help with some plant identification. And you can see where one of the uh, branches off of it has torn down and there's some rot in there. He's asking, it's by a pool and it's extremely messy. So he's wondering if this is a, I think he's looking for an excuse to cut it down is basically (laughs) what he's looking for. See, doesn't this look bad? This is about to fall, right? I need to cut this down for the pool. Well, and and I give him my my full um, permission to take down that tree because it's an African sumac and they are one of the dirtiest trees. They're wonderful trees if you have the room for them, but they do seem to drop leaves year round and not just a few. They just continually produce a lot of fruit. Then they have the the little, um, uh, pol- the pollen emerges and then the little seeds and then those little round seeds drop out of the trees. Then the birds take the seeds and drop them into <laughs> other places in your yard and you've got you, sumacs. You're selling this tree. <laughs> sumacs growing up all over the place. Well, as I said, if you've got the room for them, they're a pretty nice tree. I like them. They're evergreen. They've got a nice contrasting bark and leaf color. I like them, but the, you have to have room for them. If it's near, near a pool and you've already got a strike against it, I'd, you know, you might want to seriously consider taking a tree out. We all, always say that a tree, you know, trees have a reason and a season. And sometimes that reason and season expire. And if, if you've got a plant in a location where it has achieved its landscape purpose and then exceeded its landscape purpose, 
you know, you might want to think about uh, about taking that tree out, replacing it with a more appropriate um, tree, and and enjoy that younger tree as it grows up and 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 uh, provides the benefits that that would be better for that location. And then another uh, Gloria sent in a picture of two date palms. One of them standing upright and the other one's leaning and they actually have a two by four propped up on it to try and keep it upright wants to know what could be causing this is it worth saving it yeah and i saw the picture and it looks like they were planted a little too close together the spread of a typical uh, phoenix canariensis or phoenix dactylifera or canariensis they are so broad they can be 30 feet across the, the the fronds on each going in each direction can be over 15 feet wide so you need to be on at least a 30 foot um, uh, planting centers in order to give those trees the 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 ability to put out this the fronds to the sides without interfering with the plants next to them it looks like she's on about a 20 foot um, uh, planting center and those trees are getting crowded and the smaller one is actually growing away from the other one for its for available sunlight and that will probably continue i would just recommend she leave allow that to happen and that tree will eventually when it gets up into its own space it'll move over basically five or ten feet as it heads as it gets taller it's now 20 feet tall but it'll head up you know on an angle for a ways and once it gets clear enough it'll start growing vertically again and then they'll grow up parallel t- together for the next uh, 20 years. And then everyone will be like, that's such a cool day, Palm. Why do you do that? <laughs> the people do that. They, they plant these palm trees on their sides going on different angles. And then, you, as you see, they start to grow vertically after that. Uh, let's see. This is David wants to know what to do about a lemon tree where the top branches look dead and have lost most of their leaves. Is that just... Uh, I, I don't think we got the frost this <laughs> this, soon, this no. summer, and he say he's in Peoria. Yeah, he that's not a frost problem. Well, we have a, an annual leaf turnover with citrus. You know, they're dropping leaves and putting on leaves. You know, throughout the year, but we have a, a kind of a seasonal time where there's one time of year when certain trees will drop more of their leaves, and it's kind of a, a re, re, regeneration, rejuvenation. And that's often the case with, with lemons. Lemons can be interesting that way. We've seen them defoliate for various reasons. It could be a, a watering issue. But I wouldn't be too concerned at this time of year. If it were happening in May or June, you'd have some real risk of sun, of, of sun damage. But I think if you just are patient, um, it should refoliate here pretty soon in the next month or two. If, you, if you're um, concerned in another month that it hasn't really done what you want, and getting uh, nice and full again, you might want to give an arborist a, a call to come out and ch- take a look at it. The branches that look dead, you can go out and prune them, cut them, if scratch they are, them. If they're actually dead, sometimes those branches will defoliate on the lemons, but yet the, the, the twigs that are supporting the leaves are still flex, flexible. Yeah, and you need to just check. If they are truly dead, uh, then you, you could just tip those back, prune them back to live wood, and, and you know let the tree grow from that point. But, yeah, you can— uh, Definitely take that dead wood out of your citrus at any time, and and dead branch tips for sure. Our tree of the month, you brought us the Texas Mountain Laurel, and a texter wanted to know how long should it take to bloom? It's been several years since they've planted theirs, and they have yet to get a bloom. Yeah, again, uh, as we've mentioned in the past, a bloom is a, is a heavy energy drain on, on a plant. Sometimes our, our trees can be kind of sporadic bloomers. They'll only bloom when there's enough 
energy reserves to support it. So be patient. Sometimes some of those flowering trees and shrubs need just the optimum conditions to be able to put on some flower. We appreciate the uh, the text. And one more about the Texas mountain laurel. Uh, one says, how do I take care of caterpillars that like to eat Texas mountain laurel? I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I, I they are prone to getting some caterpillars. It's not one of those problems that I would say is a, is a deal breaker. I think they're really good, and they'll um, you can spray them and uh, proactively once every spring. <laughs> it's Rosie on the house with you every Saturday morning, and you can join the conversation at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. We just burned through a number of text questions there. At 411923 and the emails info at rosieonthehouse.com where those pictures were sent. We try and have every form of communication possible here. The lines have just loaded up, so we'll come back and go through a couple more calls and then get to uh, our last couple points here on the Talking Trees calendar. The expert that's brave enough to say the word deciduous. Talking Trees with John Eisenhower. Rosie on the house. One more method for those caterpillars on those Texas mountain laurel, or if you're out there and you've noticed uh, your leaves getting chewed away or you've got uh, holes in your bark, if it's a evergreen or an ornamental, that this, this systemic method is not for your edibles, but if it's a Texas mountain laurel, your live oaks, mulberries, something chewing in away, uh, Bonide has a great product called Annual Tree and Shrub, and it, you apply it you know, in water around the root base. It absorbs it through the roots, and it goes through the entire tree. As the bug then comes and turns your tree into lunch, well, this annual tree and shrub turns the bug into uh, easy pickings for birds. You know? <laughs> just, just go around the base of your tree picking up all the dead caterpillars that have uh, gone into the, the rotation. You can find the annual tree and shrub at... Uh, Christopher's, we talked about them earlier up in Sholo. If you're in the Flagstaff area, Water Warners, uh, Waters is in Flagstaff, and they carry Bonite as well, or in Phoenix at Treeland Nurseries. Bonite products are family-made in America, and this one is the tree and shrub. If you've got insects you're battling or the, you've got uh, the branches are too high to reach and your sprayer doesn't, there's multiple applications for, for tree and, and shrub. You know, a lot of these caterpillars – and other insects that are uh, attacking our uh, our shrubs this time of year, especially due to this mild winter we had. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, other uh, shrubs like our t- Tacomas, our Bougainvillea, uh, that can uh, be uh, be targeted. the 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 insects will, if the infestations are really minor, you'll see a little bit of cosmetic damage on the leaves. Uh, sometimes when the infestations get heavier. Uh, you won't notice it until you look over at your shrub and realize it looks a little thinner than normal. If you take a closer look, you'll see uh, the, the caterpillar numbers have really gotten up higher. You know, they'll sometimes run their course. The You know, they have natural predators. You know, if you have an infestation, well, the birds are going to be in there uh, doing their, their part of the, the job of kind of uh, reducing those populations. But there's a time when an insecticide would, would be appropriate. There's some also some... Um, uh, other home remedies that you can look up that might be of help to you as well that can help kind of control some of these things without going to the heavier heavier chemical applications. 
We've got a text question here. Somebody wants to know, you know, we talk about dwarf citrus. You can graft it and they grow shorter. Is there some kind of dwarf palaverde tree? I've, that's one I don't think I've seen on the market. No, there's no dwarf palaverdes. It's interesting. They're, they're doing a lot with, the, you know, controlling the rootstock on grafted trees so that you can kind of control the, uh, the, the overall height and spread of some of your trees. Uh, there are growth plant regulators or plant growth regulators that are, you know, hormone-based um, treatments that you can put on some of your trees and shrubs to, you know, reduce their, their overall size. If you want to kind of get a tree at a certain size of, of um, height and spread and you kind of feel it's right at the optimum size, you might want to consider uh, applying a plant growth regulator. They're pretty uh, uh, in, incredible chemicals. It's basically a hormone that kind of tricks the plant into sending, uh, you know, putting more growth toward the root system and less toward the, the top canopy of the tree. Um, and this and sounds like definitely something it's not unavailable available on the no, market. No, this is a labeled, this is labeled a, product. Needs you need to be, a license applied by somebody certified. Needs to be certified. applied by a, a licensed a spray technician. Yeah, give us a call at, at Integrity Tree Service if you want some more information. Our plant health care director, Sarah Maitland, can give you a heads up on uh, the uh, if it would be appropriate for your, your trees and and shrubs, if they're at that kind of height and you're kind of fighting to keep them under control, yeah, this might be just right for you. iTreeService.com or 602? 602-788-0005. But as you said, our website's probably the fastest way to get through to us because you can go right online and send in a request, and we'll give you a call back on Monday. That is iTreeService.com, the letter iTreeService.com. Greg wants to talk about a tree to shade his two-story home. Welcome to the program, Greg. Thank you. Good morning, guys. Yeah, the um, the challenge is to shade the west side of the two-story house. Um, so I'm looking for a deciduous tree. The, the The specific challenge is that I've got only about 25 feet between the house and um, a block wall, and then a, another <clears throat> I don't know 15 or so feet to the side of my neighbor's house, and that's kind of an unused side for them. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm looking for something that uh, has more upright growth rather than, uh, you know, than lateral. Any recommendations, any trees come to mind to fill the bill, deciduous trees? Deciduous trees, that's the tough part. I got two non-deciduous trees, the shoestring acacia and the Texas, I'm, yeah, the Texas live oak. The live oak and the, the, uh, and, the, uh, uh, and the shoestring acacia have really great upright growth uh, habit. They're taller than they're wide and they're pretty fast growing, but what the, the beauty of it is that neither one has a very aggressive root system. That's the critical part when it, you have a limited planting space. Um, the uh, Yeah, the deciduous, you might want to think about an ash tree, but they're going to be pretty aggressive rooting. Uh, the, uh, uh, and I know he said evergreen. and Evergreen, I thought he said deciduous. Uh, yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, <laughs> I know he's not looking for evergreen, but in these tight situations when I'm more worried about the house foundation— you got the block wall. As much as I hate these silly things, and it is evergreen, the uh, the 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 text or the Italian cypress. You know, plant four or five of those next to each other, and a couple of years you'll have a great uh, yeah, shade line. Vertical screen. Yeah, they're not very wide though. You know, you're looking for something a little broader. Uh, that Texas, I would go with the uh, Texas live oak any day of the week if you could go with an evergreen. I mean, that would be my my choice for sure. And then I know this isn't really a tree question, but you're a master gardener as well. What about a trellis and vine, a good evergreen vine like a grapevine or 
something would be another solution for them. Well, trying to get that up to a second story height, though, that's the challenge. You're trying to get above that. You know, if, if you're just in a single story home, that might be something to think about building a trellis up, you know, 12, 15 feet. But yeah, the, the two story that you got to get up there uh, pretty high. Back to our live oak. Those yeah, beautiful they trees, too. They are. <laughs> John Eisenhower of Integrity Tree Service, ISA certified met arborist. Thank you, as always, for your time. Next uh, next month in March, we talk about the... We're talking about the, Vi- the Vitex next week. And next month, I'm pretty sure. Vitex, all right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Second Saturday of every month, he joins us right here, live at Rosie on the House.